on a, a brand new series called Desperate. Desperate. Desperate with an asterisk because uh, sometimes, like, it's not, it's not, you need to be more than just desperate. Sometimes you got to be hecka desperate. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, sometimes being hecka desperate uh, can be a bad thing, right? Like, you don't want to date someone that's hecka desperate. Uh, that's a bad, that's a bad, I'll drink to that. Hold on. Hmm. But, but there are some things in life that are worth being hecka desperate about. And so that's what we're going to look at starting today. And then for the next however long, I feel like there's so many things that as a believer uh, are, is worth just being desperate for. And so today uh, I'm excited as we uh, jump into Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to that. It's going to be on the screen behind me. But it says this, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 16 through 18. There it is. It says this, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and followed him. This morning, our very first week of our very first uh, message in our series, Hecka Desperate, I want to talk to you about being desperate for Jesus, being desperate for Jesus. Let's pray. Could we bow our heads just one more time, and then we'll pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your kindness and your faithfulness to us. God, I pray that you just uh, speak through me this morning, that uh, the words that come out of my mouth, God, that it would be fruitful, it would be beneficial, God. Holy Spirit, you know uh, what every single person in this room is dealing with going through, and you know that I cannot clearly and articulately, articulately uh, hit those things, God, but I know that you can, Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you would just do your job this morning. We want to leave here changed. We want to leave here better, but not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody say amen, amen, amen. amen. So uh, I have an irrational fear, everybody, of uh, mispronunciating or mincing Saying somebody's name wrong. Ooh. Like, I actually have a genuine, I would rather not introduce myself to you than me step out and say the wrong name to who I'm talking. Is that, is that just me? Is that, can anybody else? Yes. Now, now, like, some people are really good at this. Some people are really good at memorizing names. I am not that person. Like, I will forget your name right after we shake hands and said, and introduce, like, that's just who I am. But if I do remember it, I'm, I'm afraid to even pretend like I remember it. It's actually not even in my notes right now, so I'm just kind of going on a tangent. But you know who doesn't care about if they get their name, your name wrong or not? My dad. <laughs> like, he doesn't even care. He's like, you look like a gem, I'm going to call you Jim. <laughs> But not me. Like, I have, like, this genuine fear of, 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 of getting someone's name wrong. And I think I realized after many years of therapy, like, I think I've realized where that stems from. And so if I can take you back to eighth grade for me, uh, 
first year in a public school system, first year um, just, I went to a private school, uh, kindergarten through seventh grade uh, in Vallejo, California, let's go, and um, <laughs> like why, and um, <laughs> And so, so like, and then we moved to Santa Rosa in, in eighth grade. And uh, prior to that, my, like every, I went to private school. I was raised in church. My mom and dad, they never gave my sister and I an option to go to church. Like we were, like, it was just church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Like, that's all I knew. Then my parents dropped me in a public school system. And uh, I've never, I never met, like, Okay, so, so, so first day of school, we're there, and this is where they had, like, name badges on, on, the, on the tables and on the, on the, on the desk. And uh, I remember my first day at school, I, I step into this class, and I see a name tag that says J-E-S-U-S. <laughs> and I'm like, I got excited. I was like, yo, there's a guy in my class named Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Like, I'm excited, you know. So I go up to my buddy, who Jesus, and I'm like, what's up, Jesus? And he looked at me a little perturbed. I was like, what's up? I'm like, man, like. You don't even know. Like, I'm trying to, like, tell him my testimony, right? Like, <laughs> it turned into, like, confession. All of a sudden, like, <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, and so, and so, like, I'm like, Jesus. And I keep calling him Jesus. And every time I call him Jesus, he's getting more and more mad. And he's like, bro, my name isn't Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> Woo, come on, half Mexican of mine. He's like, <laughs> He's like, it's Jesus. And I was like, oh. Like, I was completely shocked. The fact that someone's name that was J-E-S-U-S was not Jesus, but Jesus. Now, you guys think I'm joking about this scarring me for life. The other day, I'm talking with my wife in therapy. I'm like, babe. This is why I messed up. This is why I'm so fearful of names. And she says this to me. She's like, well, you know, you know. <laughs> she doesn't talk like that, guys. She doesn't talk. She's, she's like, you know that that's Jesus in Spanish. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no idea. I, but, but, but she was like, she, she was like, it's the same thing. Jesus and Jesus, same thing. And as she was saying that, I was thinking, well, like, Jesus didn't think so. In fact, Jesus had an issue that I was calling him Jesus. And here's what I'm getting at, because some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> here's what I'm getting at, is that uh, the name, it looked the same. You spelled it the same way. But when it came down to it, Jesus, the person... And Jesus, the person, were two separate, different people. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. Today, as we're talking about becoming desperate for Jesus, 
I want us to make sure that we're desperate for the right Jesus. Like, I want us to be so desperate for the person of Jesus. Like, I don't want us to fall into this trap of falling, uh, falling for this, this Jesus instead of Jesus. Are you with me? Like, what, what I don't want to happen is us to fall into, like, falling enamored, becoming enamored with an ideology of Jesus, but never experiencing the person of Jesus. I'll say that again. Like, I, I, I want us to become desperate for Jesus, but not an ideology of Jesus, but the person of Jesus. And the reason why I'm saying this is because there's a difference between an ideology, an ideology of Jesus and the person of Jesus. See, because an ideology of Jesus is filtered through the framework of my desires, my longings, my wants, rather than the consistency of who we see Jesus in Scripture. And so at the end of today, I want us to fall in love with the consistency of the person of Jesus that we see in Scripture, rather than an ideology or a mindset of who we perceive Jesus to be. Are you with me? All right. So, so, so Jesus... Um, so this morning, I want us to explore the person of Jesus. And in order for us to do that, we're going to, uh, the, 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 the Mark chapter 1, what we looked at, is, is going to really, I believe, reveal to us who Jesus is and, and what, what he desires uh, for you and for I, uh, for, for me. And, and so in, in the text that we just read, Jesus, he's starting off his ministry Right, he just was baptized in Mark chapter 1. He fasted for 40 days, my goodness. Was led to the wilderness, fasted, and then he makes his way to Galilee. And this is where we, we end up in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And what we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, uh, is the first interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. Now, there's this thing called the law of the first mention, and, 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 and it basically goes like this. I'm summarizing it, but it, it's basically saying that wherever you see something the first time in Scripture, it sets the precedence for every other time that you read it in Scripture, okay? And so what we, what we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, is the first interaction that Jesus has with his disciples, and so Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, he sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew. They're both fishermen. And what Jesus says to them, it encapsulates two things. Who Jesus is and his hope for you and I. He's revealing to us the process of becoming his disciples. And so I want us to break down Mark chapter 1, verse 17, because in that we're going to see the process of what Jesus is doing for us to becoming disciples. And so the first one, he says this, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he says this. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now, I just want you to think about how bizarre that statement is right now. So here's Jesus. Jesus has no street cred yet, okay? Like Jesus, he, he hasn't turned the water into wine yet. He hasn't walked on water yet. He hasn't multiplied fish and bread. Like Jesus, at this moment in Mark chapter 1, he has not done any miracles. 
He has no street cred. And Jesus, he walks up to two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he says to them, he says, follow me. What? Are you guys seeing how bizarre that is? Like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, Jesus, like, you, you got to, like, introduce yourself better. You got to have better people skills, right? Like, at least Jesus go up to be like, hey, my name is Jesus. I am the son of God who also is God. I know it's confusing, but we'll work about that later. <laughs> He's like, I came here to earth to die for, like, gee, like, at least introduce yourself, Jesus. But what we see from scripture, he walks up to two complete strangers at their work. They're doing their job at their, at their, in their occupation. He's just like, hey, follow me. And so what we see, the very first thing that Jesus says to the disciples, as he, he, he's like, hey, follow me. As if to say, he wants to lead and not follow us. As if to say, Jesus is setting the precedence for these disciples and every other disciple, every other Christian to come. He's saying, hey, follow me. I don't want to follow you. I don't want to be, I want, I want to be the leader, not you. So in this moment, the first time ever, Jesus, he says, follow me. Like, I want to be the leader. In fact, like, he, he kind of says something similar in, in John chapter 15 and verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I find it interesting that he says uh, that he's the vine, he's the main source, I'm, uh, I'm the branch. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he said, when you remain in me, as if to say, when you allow me to lead, your life will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. And then he goes on, he's like, but, but outside of me? can't do anything to which most of us are like wow Jesus that's offensive you just offended me but what Jesus is, is implying is is this idea that when I become a follower of Jesus the person of Jesus is requiring me to relinquish my desires my longing and to surrender myself to him and saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. That's why at the end of our, our worship times together, uh, we say, we, who wants to make Jesus the Lord or the boss of their life? Because Jesus is saying, hey, I want to be lead. Now, here's the problem with this is that if you're a lot like me, sometimes we treat our faith like a Chinese buffet. How many of y'all like Chinese food? Chinese buffet, come on. The issue with Chinese buffet is that I can walk around, I can pick and choose what I want. I'm like, I want a little bit of that. Don't want that. I want a little bit of that. Oh, this looks good right here. And I think if we're not careful, like we can all of a sudden, man, like treat our faith in the same type of heart, the same type of spirit of like, all right, Jesus, I choose you with here. 
I'm going to stay away from there. I want a little bit of this, a little less of that. And like we pick and choose. I pick and choose because y'all looking at me like it's only me. So I pick and choose sometimes. I fall into this trap, but Jesus is like, no. He's like, I want to leave. I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. Jesus requires to lead. Now, here's something interesting that we see without the, throughout the disciples as Jesus is going and, and, and getting his disciples. Every disciple had to leave something in order to allow Jesus to lead. So, so, so uh, the fishermen, they had to leave their nets. Matthew had to leave his tax collector booth. Like everyone had to leave something in order to be led by Jesus. Which brings up the question, if I have not left anything, is Jesus really leading me? Like, I, am, I, am I allowing him to lead me? Like, we have to leave. Like, he, the, there's one person, the rich young ruler, who actually, uh, he came up to Jesus. He's like, hey, Jesus, uh, what, do I do to, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is like, he lists down some things, and, and the, the rich young ruler is like, cool, I've done all of that. Awesome. And then Jesus is like, okay, now, now sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler is like, ah, ah. In fact, it says that he just left. Because he knew he couldn't do it. He wasn't willing to leave something. Something like something that was tied to his heart, something that he loved so much. Like he had to leave. And notice that Jesus, he didn't chase after him. Right? Like Jesus was like, wait, come back. I'm just kidding. Come here. You just have to partially. <laughs> just partially. Do. No, why? Because Jesus wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants us all to follow him, just to lead so he can lead. And so Jesus says, um, follow me. That's the first thing. And then he says, I will make you. I will make you. Jesus, my goodness, he makes an impression, right? So the first thing is like walking up to random people, hey, follow me. And then, and then he's like, I'm going to make you. What? Come on, Jesus. Now, that word make in the Greek, it means to like, to, to, to bring down, but then to recreate something even better. So, so Jesus, he's like, follow me, and I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to make something with you. It's actually the same implications that we read in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah, he's this prophet, and God tells Jeremiah, he's like, hey, go to the potter's house. And Jeremiah, he watches this potter on this wheel. And this potter, I don't even know if this is how you do it. It's like, let's stop it, John. And so he's like molding something. And then Jeremiah's watching, and, and, and he messes up. And so rather than trying to fix it, the potter, uh, the potter, like he squishes it down, and then he recreates something, he makes something brand new. And, and so, so Jesus, he's like, follow me. 
because I want to make you. I want to, but I don't want to be made. No, no, no. I want to make you. I want to mold you and shape you and into into what the potential of what you have, the potential of what I have. Jesus' intention is to transform you. He wants to transform me. He wants to transform you. Now, here's the beauty of salvation, is that Jesus loves you as you are. I love that. He loves you as you are. He loves, he loves you. He loves you as you are. Like, he loves your mess up. Like, he lo- like you don't have to change anything in order for his love to, to, in order for you to experience his love. Love that. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died. So, like, he died for me when I was in my worst state. And I love that. So the beauty of salvation is that Jesus loves me as I am. But he loves me so much, he doesn't want to just leave me where I'm at. He wants to make me. He wants to transform me. He wants to do something in my life. He wants to do something in your life. He wants to shape you and mold you. And here's why. Now, before I give this illustration, I just want you to know that I'm, 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 I'm very blessed, right? Like, I'm not complaining, okay? But my family, uh, we're renting a house, okay? Like, and praise God, we got a roof overhead. But could we be honest just for a sec? Like, renting a house means that I have to accept everything that comes with it. Y'all, we got some ugly carpet. It's like tan, I got three kids running around with paint and Play-Doh on tan carpet. In our kitchen, we got like these cupboards that look like they're from the 60s, y'all. Retro, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's just vintage. No, it's old, okay? (laughs) And and like these cupboards are just, and they're just, wow. Our wall color? Cream? What is that? It looks like a dirty white. Cream carpet, or excuse me, cream walls, tan carpet. Like it's just a whole. And like every time we have someone come over, like I'm always trying to explain to them, hey, like we're renting. <laughs> like if this was our house, we would not have carpet. We would have, I don't know, it wouldn't be carpet. <laughs> Our walls. I'm like, seriously, I'm explaining to people. Because I, I don't want them to think like this reflects me. You know what I'm saying? And you know what's funny? Like when, when I'm thinking about renting, like I, sometimes I'll sit down on my couch and I'll just dream. I'll be like, oh, if this was my house, what I would do. I'm like, I would tear down that wall. I would expand the restroom. I would change the wall color. Rip up the carpet. Why? Because, like, when people come over, I want it to reflect me. When they come into my house, I want them to be like, oh, whoa, you're super sad. You're super chill, right? Like, like I want it to reflect me. Here's what I'm going with this. Scripture says that, that when you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, that Jesus 
then he doesn't live in the temple. He resides in us. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it almost makes sense now why he wants to make us into something different. Because he wants us to reflect who he is. Because he's like, hey, I'm not renting you out. I didn't die on the cross so that you can rent me. He's like, I purchased you. You're mine. And I want you to reflect who I am. Like Jesus, Jesus is like, follow me. And I will make you. I will make you. And then closing, and I can have the keys come up because we're done, and then we're going to watch people get baptized, which is amazing. He wants his home to reflect who he is. So follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. So Jesus says, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what I really think he's doing in this moment is he's expanding their vision. He's expanding their vision. He, he's like, you guys were fishermen, which is cool, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. Like expanding your vision. And I think that Jesus, he's, what he's doing is he's like, hey, I want to, I want, I want to lead you. And I want to mold you and I want to transform you and I want to make you so that you can begin to see the potential that I have for your life. The potential that I see in you. He's like, I, I want to expand your vision from going from what you were doing to what I see you as. How I see you. I think some of us, if we're honest, we sell ourselves short the way that we see ourselves, the way that we talk about ourselves. Like, what if you were able to, to catch a glimpse of how Jesus saw you? What if you were able to catch a glimpse of, of what Jesus wanted to do in your life? The, the vision, like he's selling vision. He said, I want to make you fishers of men. He said this to fishermen. So he could have said, I want to make you farmers of men. I want to make you a carpenter of men. But he took what they were already doing and added even greater significance. Jesus wants to take what you're doing and help you to see even greater, greater significance. He wants to, he wants to expand your vision. He wants to see, he wants you to see what he sees. That, to see the potential of what you can be. A better dad, a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better employee. He wants you to be able to see the potential of what he has for you and for me. And so he says, I want to make you, uh, follow me, and I want to make you fishers of men. And so, uh, verse 18 and this is, I love this, we're closing. Verse 18, and says, And immediately they, they being the brothers, left their nets and followed him. 
Think about what that takes to leave everything you've had. Think about like what that took these two guys for Jesus to come and say, follow me. And they're like, okay, to leave everything. How desperate must have these guys, must these guys have been? Like how desperate to be like, hey, I'm willing to leave my job, my family. I'm going to leave it all, Jesus, because I see who you are. Like, I don't, I don't need any of it. I'm following you. Because everything that I have up until this point, I realize I'm missing something. Like, my job is not fulfilling all the money in the world. It's not fulfilling my heart. Like, there's something missing, and I've become so desperate that I'm willing to try anything. And, and, and these guys, they're like, they're like uh, Jesus comes, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They didn't even hesitate according to the text. They just got up, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. What would it look like if you and I were so desperate for Jesus that we were willing to give up everything to say, Jesus, I want to fully follow you. Like, I, I just, I want whatever you want, Jesus. Friends, the person of Jesus, he loves you so much. He loves you so much.